Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. You've come to the right place. There is nothing that can satisfy the inner core of your being except what is ultimately real and not just something to believe in. And so for those of you that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will find there is a flip book with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that answers the very hardest questions with very good, solid answers. And you'll find a lot of the print is highlighted in red. Those are actually links to YouTube videos, which are very profound and amazing, that highly confirm from many fields of science the reality of what I am talking about here. And of course, there is also the subjective experience, which is so transformative an ongoing and transformation that one can enter into and in being conformed to the purpose for which you were created and designed, uniquely designed. There, are, there is also videos you will see of myself sharing. I did one recently, which I think will be the last one on the playlist on that website, which is very interesting that I did earlier this week. Today is Saturday. And that one discovers some amazing information. That people, well, I shouldn't say discovers. Uh, that one has some amazing discoveries that are very recent. Uh, measuring time back with DNA through the Y chromosome. Highly being confirmed by things they're finding that confirms it by historical evidence. And it shows the man's only 6,000 years old. And of course, I can get into evolution. I had, I have done this video this week that you'll find at the end of the playlist that goes into this amazing discovery of DNA, not just in the aspect of how they can go back in time now and trace all kinds of things. They're recovering the history of the Indians that came to North America. Now they found that they came in 900 AD, not BC a long, long time ago. 900 AD is when they came. And they started to trace down the details of their history through all that they're doing with these time measurements with DNA that are very accurate. And they're being confirmed by what they're discovering. Well, that's another talk. I am here and I'm going to start to probably change my messages so I don't give a really long introduction for those that are new. You can discover all of that information at the website I referred you to, ultimatemeeting.com. So I want to share with those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. I'm referring to the one true God who is the very source of creation and of reality, who is an ultimate manifestation and perfection of love that is the very source of love. 
And I'll just briefly describe that this love is so pure and so integrous that it will not condone the slightest that is contrary to love. And I'm talking about the highest form of love, love that always chooses the highest lasting good, truly from one's own being. God always chooses the highest lasting good. Any lesser choice would have a measure of corruption in it. This love will never condone the slightest that is contrary to love, which would have corruption in it. It is the opposite of corruption. In fact, it is the very destroyer of corruption. It is who God is. And his name in the Old Testament is described often as Lord God in the Bible, but in the original Hebrew, the word Lord would be Yahweh, or some call it Yehovah, but Yahweh is more accurate. Referring basically to the I am that I am, the ultimate source of reality that is separate and above and all creation. And that source of reality is an ultimate perfection of love, that first in its integrity is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. And that is what reality is. If you look up the word truth in dictionaries, it says it's that which is reality or real. So you look up the word reality in various dictionaries, and it's that which is immovable, indestructible, absolute. And only, the only quality that could be this is this love that could have such integrity and purity that it will not tolerate corruption. And so that is represented in the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation and also the cutting off of all corruption. And from that springs forth the positive symbol, which is made out of the negative symbol by crossing it out. And that's the other aspect of this love, that God is so great that he could take judgment upon himself as a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for us mere creatures. That's beyond comprehension. Yes, God came down into this world. And you can see examples of him communicating in human form in this world. For example, in the Old Testament with Abraham in Genesis 18, where three angels come down. He makes a wonderful meal for them. They eat together and he dresses one of them as Yahweh, the most sacred name for God. <clears throat> You have Melchizedek being described in the New Testament, referring back to the Old Testament time of Abraham, who met Melchizedek, as being without beginning of days, who offered, offered to him what was in essence the communion. He offered to him bread and wine. Yes, and God came in Jesus Christ. And people say, oh, you believe in three gods. No, we don't. <laughs> Not at all. For God to be almighty, he must be able to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond time and space and creation, in creation and in omnipresence attached to all creation, the total intelligence and power over every particle that he's created. And so it is that you have God the Father ruling beyond the time and the space realm. And the Son is the full expression of the Father, the 
fact, the word son basically means expression. And it also means word. And Jesus Christ is referred to being the word of God, the Father, the full expression of the Father as described in Hebrews 1.3. The one and only full expression of God the Father. And yes, God condescended into this world and he humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, and he suffered more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. He loved you that much. So that you could choose to repent and receive his love and be reconciled to God. There is no love that can be imagined that isn't greater than such love, or that could exist that could be greater than such love. Only this love could be entrusted with unlimited authority, life, and power without using that in a corrupt way or being corrupted by it, thus indicative that he is the very source. Only this quality of love could be who the one true eternal God is. And I've written a book titled, which you can purchase on Amazon, Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. The subtitles are different now on Amazon. It's got a better subtitle. But that's the book. It's 368 pages in a large 6 by 9 paperback. And in there, those that are genuine Christians, you will discover are the only ones that experience entering heaven and describing it in detail and having obviously what is a very real experience. These are people highly confirmed as dead, more than one, a good number of them like Dale Brack, but no, not Dale Black, I believe his name is, and the other one is uh, Dean Braxton, and there's many others. They all describe that the love was so intense, of course, in that dimension, which is far superior than the physical dimension, your spiritual body in that dimension is far superior to your physical body, way beyond. I mean, I, I could talk about the afterlife, it's so amazing. What these people experienced, it's all in my book. But, my, the love was so intense that there's nothing that you could, in this earthly realm, compare it to or possibly even be able to describe. It's such a superior realm with such a superior experience of love. Oh, you think you're experiencing the denial of Oh, you can't experience this pleasure and that in this world. Sexual pleasure. I mean, compared to the pleasure you experience in heaven, sexual pleasure is nothing. In this physical realm. This pleasure is the pleasure of God's love and of God loving you. And so there, are the, there is Dean Braxton standing before Jesus Christ. And he knows that, the, that if God only created him, that Jesus Christ, who is God, fully expressed the creation, would have suffered for him on the cross more than he ever has suffered. Humbled himself more than he's ever been humbled. That's how much the love that Jesus Christ was showing to Dean Braxton. In fact, he said it felt like he was the only one in the universe and that God's whole focus was just on him, that he was so precious to God like the apple of his eye. And yet he knew that God loved the others with the same intensity. That is the kind of love I am talking about. 
And so this love is represented in the negative and the positive symbol that's formed out of the negative, which is the symbol of the cross. And did you know that the last letter of the alphabet in the most ancient languages is exactly as the symbol of the cross? Going back to 1500, 2000 BC and so on. And the Hebrew language back then and the Phoenician language and others had the same basic last letter, which meant a symbol or a sign. And it's the most amazing symbol. That God's love could be so great that he could cross out our sins by taking judgment for us. When you think of the size of this universe, I heard the other day on, and I highly recommend that you go to this link, which is on my website at ultimatemeaning.com and Love Realized on the homepage a little ways down there, genesisciencenetwork.org, which is continually showing documentaries in high quality, very interesting documentaries on all the overwhelming scientific evidence against the theory of evolution. It's totally blown out of the water now. I mean, if I told you, it's finished. As far as the evidence goes, evolution is obviously false. And that is made plain now for many fields of science, including all the people that die and tell the doctors, well, the doctors know they're totally dead, details of what they're talking about and doing, and it happens over and over again, plus the DNA I'm telling you about, and the fact that DNA has communicated frequencies through a test tube to an empty test tube with just water, and those frequencies went through the air, through the glass, into the other test tube, and created DNA out of nothing. Totally blows evolution out of the water. Dinosaurs that have flexible flesh in their bones and, and blood cells, which can only exist in the thousands of years. I don't know, maybe 10,000, 12,000 years. Man only goes back to 6,000. That's being shown. And the dinosaurs only go back to probably at the most 7,000 years or 10,000. Who knows? But not no. It's all, you know, blinking mastery of deception. Every area of it is blown out of the water these days. I can't go into that. So I'm sharing with you about the love of God. So God is so great that he rules in three personages in order to rule beyond time and creation as the Father, in creation as the Son, and filling all creation and omnipresence as the Holy Spirit. And that is who the only one true God could possibly be. And now I want to share with those that have come to have really cried out and asked Jesus Christ to be the, the Lord and the Savior of their life, the one true eternal God. And I was going to tell you something about the stars, and I forgot. I was watching in Genesis Science Network the fact that they're talking about the stars and the galaxies. I didn't know that there were galaxies some of them that had so many stars in them, there was 80 trillion stars in some galaxies. Some galaxies have in the millions, but there are many galaxies in the trillions of stars. And you know there's millions of galaxies. They are, there's more. You know how big some of these stars are? Our sun, I think, is something like a thousand times bigger than the Earth. And there are stars that are a thousand times bigger than our sun. Do you know how long it takes to get to the closest star? Five light years, that's light traveling around the earth seven times in one second, and it takes five years. Brothers and sisters, this God that is so great 
is so great that he can come down to this little speck of a planet and love us that much so that we can repent and be reconciled to him. And man thinks he's doing some big thing with AI. He's doing nothing. The other dimensions from the fourth to the 10 that they've discovered through mathematical analysis of particle physics are far superior to the physical. Most secular scientists believe the heavenly realm is in the fifth dimension. I'm not going to get into all of that. Sidetracked. I want to hear, share with you that are new, that have received Christ, that I seek to give these messages, speaking as the oracles of God. Because it commands us in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God by his spirit to speak through us. And that is what I will seek to do. How does that happen? Well, it's explained in Revelations 19.10 where it says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a humble, pure heart of genuine love for God, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow that can come into us that causes us to come forth in creative utterances beyond ourselves. An overflow. You know that old hymn, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. When you're filled in an overflow of the spirit, sometimes you can't put in words the glory of what you're experiencing and perceiving of the kingdom of God. And it overflows in a beautiful sounding language from me. Maybe I have a special gift of song, tongues. When I speak in tongues, it sounds like a very real language. It always does. I'm not saying that those that do it that don't, but there's a lot that just do it out of their own spirit too, I suppose, and not out of the utterance of the Holy Spirit. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, that I will seek to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship what God is saying by his spirit to the body of Christ in this hour and in this time. And so I only spend a half an hour in meditating on two chapters which I cast by lot with two independent random applications so that those two chapters will bear witness with each other as to the common theme in those two chapters of what God is saying by his spirit to the churches in this time, in this day, which happens to be Saturday, June the 23rd or 24th. What is it here? The 24th. June the 24th, 2023. And I also choose a song, and so I did a little work. I didn't, you know, it wasn't the greatest tune. This day. It's a nice tune, and, but the words are what are important. And I found, and I'm keeping adding on to the playlist, playlist new, new songs. There's a few in there I don't like too much that I might eliminate, but most of them are really high quality in the words. And so I want to play the song, and we will sing along. It's, I only choose ones you can play on your overhead projector. Uh, you can get them on my two sites, ultimatemeaning.com or Love Realize. They're right up there, worship songs in the link. And they can play if you can hook up to YouTube on your overhead projector. You'll have the words and everything there to play. You don't have musicians or whatever. But I choose songs that have meaning and, and depth. And then after that, I will 
go into what I received this week and what I don't know what I'm going to share. I'm just going to let God speak through me. But let's go to the song first and play that, and then we will go to the message. This is another new song I've never heard before. I try to get new songs that have meaning and depth. It's not easy to do, but I do find them. So here is this one. I might minimize myself as things go on here, and there might be a little brief moment where there's no sound. Okay, so I think what I'll do is I'll turn this on first. Yes, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me, brothers and sisters. I'm in tears because my heart is breaking. I'm feeling the love of God just breaking. He's wanting us to wake up out of our sleep. We're not building his house. We're limiting him in our meetings. I spoke earlier this week on this and I showed what was happening in the underground church in China. Yes, they're under persecution, but God doesn't want us to wait for persecution for us to turn to him. He wants us to be victorious even when there's a measure of prosperity to overcome these things. How much more is that to the glory of God? And we must come together to be those living stones that become a habitation of God through the Spirit. My heart was breaking while I was, I was feeling God's love just broken with tears that he is desiring his people to wake up and to come together in their city, their town, or their nation to fast and pray for three days right across the nation and repent of loving the world, the gods of sports that so many people spend time on, the gods of materialism, of whatever it is that you spend your time on, idleness, focused on the things and the loves of this world instead of times of coming into communion and fellowship with God corporately and as individuals having a life of prayer. Oh, there's nothing more wonderful than to experience the rivers of the life of God flowing from your innermost being. There may, may be many times in prayer where you do not sense that, but then because you persevere and you wait on him and you learn to be still and to have that moral persuasion of relinquishment and trust unto him to just wait, it's like in your soul, there's two open hands and it begins to collect the water and then the river begins to flow and the revelation begins to come. It involves perseverance waiting on God, but it brings you into a deep, deep love union and communion with God that brings you into a place where throughout your life, each day and what you're doing, there is the flow of life that can come out of you to touch those that are in need, to bring them out of the prison houses of their bondages of fear and of enslavement to the baits of this world that manipulate their lives by the powers of darkness in the direction of destruction to their own life and others. God is calling us as his people to come together as local assemblies and never limit God in our services. And I showed in the video that you can watch earlier this week, it should be on my website too, although I never put it up on the slider yet. I showed meetings in the underground church in China, one going on for 12 hours straight in 120 degree temperature indoors without stopping. Now I'm not saying that's what we should be doing, obviously. But why can you not have a church service that lasts at least four hours on Sundays instead of two, where you can really break through maybe from two in the afternoon to six in the evening? You know, why God is why why are we not just falling on our face before God in prayer and on our knees and seeking Him 
and becoming more conscious of him in our meetings instead of immediately starting with songs and all of this. I'm not against the songs. Of course I love that. And it's good. But, oh, too often we have our programs. God wants us to become conscious of him walking in our midst and be caught up in the awe of God and praying and crying out and searching our hearts and being repentant and in humility before him. And out of that will come great joy, great liberty, great power. And, and there, then there will be the flow of the gift of the Spirit through every member to freely function. That's the other thing that's not happening in the church. It's not his house of prayer. It's not starting its meetings in prayer. And the members of the body are not free to function and are not functioning in the gifts of the Spirit. They've been used to sitting back and having everything done at the front. And a few people might share it with a microphone, but it should be that people can just spontaneously speak forth as the Spirit leads at the appointed times at the beginning out of the time of prayer without having to ask permission to use the mic. Whether it's a song they sing out, they don't know what they're going to sing, but they know there's a seed thought in there to sing a song, and they sing it, and it comes out as a beautiful song. Sometimes, many times. I've been in a church where they practice that, and there's very few that do. But there needs to be that liberty in the body of Christ for each member to function. And we need to wake up so that the presence and the power of God comes into our midst, as you will see in those videos at the underground church in China. We should be remembering those that are under persecution, such as them and others around the world. We are to remember them that are in prison as bound with them, the word of God says. And I can feel his burden coming on me here. I can feel his tears. He is crying out for his people to come to a place of such a love relationship with him that the love of God will overflow in our midst so that it is fulfilled what it says in the word of God when it says that we, with all saints, will comprehend the height and the depth of the love of God, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God corporately and also individually to go forth in a fullness that will bring the mighty works of God and the greater works of the Spirit as he did in the early church, even so, all the more so in these last days. I'm crying because I'm feeling such a love in my heart. And I'm feeling, I don't know what it is, it's just, I just know somehow God wants to do this and I believe he's going to fulfill it. The question is, are you going to be part of it? It's, it's worth it all. It's your destiny for eternity in a realm that is so beyond this, so much more realer than the physical realm, filled with love, with no corruption, and that allows you to experience creative pleasures of fellowship with God and with the myriads of creations which he has, multitudes of many different kinds of angels. Only one-fourth of the angels are human-like and many myriads of kinds of other creatures and fellowship with all his saints in beautiful songs of worship and in your unique giftings and creativities ever enlarging throughout eternity. There is nothing more wonderful than knowing your destiny in God.
He's calling for a new order in your local assembly that does not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ. That means you release and you facilitate each member to move in the gifts of the Spirit in your church. That means you become more conscious of Christ walking in your midst and moving through the body. That doesn't mean the pastor isn't going to speak. It means that he will speak after the word has been confirmed by what has come forth so that his message is all the more powerful and rich or whoever it is, whether it's apostle, prophet, or whatever gifting it is that God has come forth in the meetings. He is calling for the fulfillment of John 17 and that we come into the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, unto the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ in these last days. So I want to share with you a little bit of what I received this week, but I think this is the message that God's wanting me to give right now because I can feel such a cry of the Spirit in me that I could weep and weep. It's not tears of sorrow, it's tears of, I don't know, it feels like tears of joy more than tears of sorrow, and yet it is a breaking of God's heart for his people to wake up. Forgive me. So, Father in heaven, I ask, indeed, that you would bring forth a large remnant across the nation of United States to wake your people up. That you'd bring a large remnant across the nation of Canada to wake your people up. To become your conquering bride church in these last days and to go forth in the power and the fearless courage of the love of God for your nation, that this nation would be conquered and that this flood of unrighteousness, that a standard would be raised up against it, that would bring it down to total judgment and destruction and annulment in this land where I live and in the United States. I need not tell you all the terrible insanities that are being pushed on the children, that are the terrible corruption and an obvious dead deterioration into a tyranny that is taking place around the world. God is calling his people to wake up and become his assemblies of prayer. I've written a book which may help for you to purchase on Amazon called God, Headship, and Body Invasion. It's a little different looking cover than this one now, but it's up there. It's all on what you can do in your local assembly to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ so that in every way you enhance your union with God and with one another. It is an outlying form and it has, you know, different small paragraphs, big ones, etc. Some are, you know, but that's, that's the book. That's it. Okay. So you can purchase that too on Amazon. Okay, what did I receive this week after I spoke earlier? Well, it seems there's only certain days that I get really powerful chapters that bear witness with each other. And this week it was on Wednesday and Thursday. 
Yes, I do get things that bear witness with each other on other days too, but they're not as strong sometimes as far as being able to, I believe, they're not the ones that God meant for me to preach from. So, I think I'll start with what I received maybe on Wednesday. I, I don't know if I want to go back further. Um, sometimes I cast lots to get a third chapter. Um, it was very strong, actually, on Tuesday, too. Because all of the chapters on Tuesday were chapters of great victory. Of Israel inheriting godless nations. That's what's in Second Samuel 8 and in Nehemiah 11. And I didn't even copy it down here. And then I looked for further and I got Joel 3. Well, Joel 3 is about the Lord returning and judging the nations and destroying them. And then he says of Israel, For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. That's after he's come down in his dwelling in Jerusalem with the millennial reign. That tendency, that edemic tendency, that genetic ten tendency towards sin is broken even in the physical blood that influences the soul because the soul is held in the body by the circulation of the blood as long as the blood is alive. But I'm not going to get into that. And... Um, it was amazing. I cast lots and I got Second Chronicles 1 twice in a row. Can you believe that? That was about Solomon asking God for wisdom and knowledge to rule the multitudes in his nation. And how he made a brazen altar to God at Gibeon, even though the ark was at Jerusalem. And so he went to Gibeon. Uh, that's where the tabernacle was without the ark and the brazen altar. The ark was at Jerusalem. And he worshipped there. And um, too bad Solomon didn't continue, but women corrupted him. And there, that means we have to be in, I have to be in guard, we all have to be in guard that our natural desires for temporal fulfillment do not hypnotize us and get our focus off our love relationship with God. And so as we continue to seek him, we will eventually come into such a relationship with him that those things can no longer sway us like they did and draw us off. Like myself, I'm still single and I have had my struggles with wanting a wife. And God has over time, I believe, brought me now into a place where that's finally been broken. Not that I still don't want a wife. I do uh, want someone that God reveals is the right one. And that is right and that's in his timing. If that's to be, I believe it is. Because he's given me various dreams about it and confirmations. But right now I'm still single. And yeah, I'm not very young, but I'm young in body because I know a lot about health and how to apply it. So, I'll leave it at that. Um, so, we have here, beginning on Wednesday, I received Luke 23 and Zephaniah 3. 
And I just summed up what God was saying through these two chapters after the casting of Lot. And I said here, the religious self-righteous pride of the self-righteous crucified the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The whole issue of this pride was because they did not fear God, as shown in Zechariah 3.7. And I showed that their motive was such there in Luke. And so I will just read some of this. Luke 23, 4-5, Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. And then we read back further down in verse 28, But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children for behold the days are coming in the which they shall say blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck then shall they begin to say to the mountains fall on us and to the hells cover us for if they do these things in a green tree what shall be done in the dry and of course this actually did happen Many of these people that crucified Christ and the others were crucified later on by the Romans. In a time when the city was surrounded and they weren't able to get food and so on and they were starving. And I'm not going to go into that. But the other chapter I got was Zephaniah. And Zephaniah has some very significant verses in it. So I want to read Zephaniah is a prophecy, much of it, of what will happen in the last days. But its context is the present. Of course, at the time, there was great apostasy in Israel. And it says this of her prophets. Her prophets are light and treacherous persons. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The just Lord is in the midst thereof, he will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. So they were at a time in Israel where you got these prophets. They're caught up with idolatry, with temporal pleasures, with loving the world, kind of like the Pharisees, probably getting a lot of looking up to from the people and glory from the people and money that they spent on their own interests. He, the Lord goes on and he says, I have cut off the nations, their towers are desolate. I made their streets waste that none passeth by. Their cities are destroyed so that there is no man, that there is none inhabitant. Now that is referring there to the future. So he's addressing the present, and as often is the case in prophetic utterance, it goes from the present then into the future, looking beyond the present. And this is the time when the Messiah returns. And there's the great earthquake, which is described in many places in Isaiah and a good number of places in Revelations. So 
such as I believe uh, Revelation 16 towards the end and it might also be in Revelations 12 if I remember right and so this is the time when there is that great earthquake and the Lord returns to the earth and when that happens and the Mount of Olives splits in half and the Lord returns with thousands of his saints right there at the Mount of Olives as it splits in half. This earthquake happens around the world, but there will be congregations around the world that, that at that time they will be in such unity and love with God throughout the United States, that remnant, and here in Canada and around the world that will have fulfilled John 17 so that when that earthquake happens, nothing happens to them. They're not harmed. They're protected by the divine intervention and power of God as he returns. And they're praising him in the midst of the flames and worshiping him in the midst of this great destruction that happens at the return of Christ. And of course, I have in my book on the afterlife an interview with a Jewish lad that was being interviewed by a whole group of Orthodox Jews in a synagogue who had recently died and saw the Messiah return and the Mount of Olives split in half and he describes the details which he didn't even know were in the scriptures because he himself was not an Orthodox Jew that was acquainted with these scriptures. But he's sharing this with them and they are amazed. And so you can see that link in my video I don't have. But if you look up uh, Jewish lad Messiah return or something it might come up in YouTube. NDE near death experience Jewish lad. Anyhow. He goes on and he says this of Israel. And this is now going a bit back into the past. He says I said surely thou wilt fear me thou wilt receive instructions so their dwelling should not be cut off. So he allows judgment to come on Israel, possibly also just before the return of the Messiah, to see if people will turn to him and repent. So, they still have their dwelling places, but he's trying to bring them to that place of repentance, where they let go of their temporal world that they're so insular about and so caught up in their own world, in their own habitations, that they neglect the habitation of God. Howsoever, I punished them, but they rose early and corrupted all their doings. And so it will be before the return of the Messiah that many will harden their hearts even though judgment has come already as it does before the return of Christ, as described in Revelation. They still do not turn to him. They harden their hearts all the more and are conformed to a destiny of eternal torment in hell because they're in total enmity against love. They're cutting themselves off from the very source of love, which is the very source of life. That's what they know is the case in heaven that love is what is causing the life and the beauty and the creativity and the wisdom and the telepathic communication that everything has up there. 
and the supreme intelligence way beyond anything of this world. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then will I turn to the people of pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. And we know this is clearly described in many various scriptures in the Old and the New Testament of the return of Christ and of the nations being assembled that he might pour his wrath upon them. It's described in Revelation that the blood will at least symbolically come up to the horse bridle. And that's after what? There's two harvests, harvests in Revelations 14. The first one is the harvest of souls. And God is preparing us right now to become a loving body of believers that's filled with the fullness of his glory like you will see if you look at the video that I show with the underground church in China. He wants that to happen here in assemblies, the fullness of his glory to dwell in our midst, in its fullness and power. So shepherds, don't be satisfied. And get in the way of what God wants to do in your congregation. Why would you not want to go all the way with God in such a desperate hour of such crisis where there's a crisis in Cuba now that's worse than the crisis that was in Cuba with the Russians and the missiles they had there? They say this is worse. We are in jeopardy right now. Right now, who knows what's going to happen in Russia with what looks like a, re a military coup taking place against Putin. And who has the power over those nuclear weapons? It is only the mercy of God that is allowing these days to continue and be prolonged that there might be the harvest. It's all his mercies that we are not consumed. And go on in Zephaniah and we read, In that day shalt thou be ashamed. This is verse 11 to 13. For all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. It says thou shalt not be ashamed for all thy doings wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride. And thou shalt no more be haughty because of my holy mountain. So there can be people that want to identify with the people of Israel out of a spirit of, of pride and of self-righteousness. Oh, we are the elect. We are the people of God. And there can be a spirit of pride behind that. And it is the spirit of pride that then affects others. To be ashamed because... When you have no pride left because you've been humbled, you don't care what people think. You're not ashamed. You know God's forgiven you, and you're not ashamed. You have total faith in his cleansing blood. He, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. But a spirit of self-righteousness and pride will condemn you 
after you have repented of your sins and make you believe that God is not accepting you or will make you feel ashamed when you shouldn't be ashamed. So a true spirit of humility takes away that kind of shame that is related to worrying about what people think about you. You don't care. When you've got no pride left and there's a deep conversion, you're converted like a little child. You become like a little child. You don't care if they see you crying. You're who you are. It says the remnant of Israel shall not do iniquity, nor speak lies, neither shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. And there is another section here in Zechariah that I somehow missed, so maybe I will go to it since I have it here. Or Ze I'm saying Zechariah, my mistake. It's not Zechariah, it's Zephaniah that we're reading. Zephaniah, sorry about that. I wanted to read to you one other part here in Zephaniah, where it says here in Zephaniah 12, which I didn't quite put down in my pasting there, the next verse, after verse 11 that we just read, says, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. You see, this is a people that is afflicted. They don't have any pride left in them. They are poor in spirit. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean that we're introvert and self-loathing. It means that we are aware of our need of God. And yes, at times we feel that need and we feel very humble. We don't have a haughty spirit. We don't have self-righteousness. We are those that cry from our heart. And yes, we have tears sometimes. Oh God, I so need you to break my heart of pride. I so need you to take away this conceit in me or whatever it is. This is what it is to be poor in spirit. It is to walk in a love relationship with God that allows your heart to be pliable in his hands and soft before him in great humility and reverence that comes out of the fear of God. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord hath taken away thy judgments. He hath cast out thine enemy. The King of Israel, even Yahweh, is in the midst of thee. That's referring to Yahweh. Jesus Christ is in the midst of thee. Thou shalt not see evil anymore. In that day it shall be said, Jerusalem, fear thou not, and to Zion, let not thine hands be slack. The Lord, that is Yahweh, thy almighty, that's what it's saying in the original there. In the midst of thee is mighty, he will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. I will gather them that are sorrowful for the solemn assembly, who are of thee, to whom the reproach of it was a burden. Behold, at that time I will undo all that afflict thee, and I will save her that halted 
and gather her that was driven out, and I will get them praise and fame in every land where they had been put to shame. <laughs> what a day that's going to be. At that time will I bring again, even in the time that I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes, saith Yahweh. Well, I've spoken for a while, brothers and sisters, and I could go on to touch on what I received on Thursday. I received Revelations 19 and James 2. And there's a clear message in these two chapters, and I want to bring it out because God is wanting us to prepare for his coming. It says, and I wrote this, might not be read perfectly, those that will be in the married supper of Jesus Christ will be those whose life of faith displays a righteous life with good works out of faith and not of their own merit. Those that have clean white garments radiating over their ultra-real permanent spiritual body, by that time they'll have their resurrected physical body too, are those that show mercy to others, such as the poor, because they are filled with thankfulness for God's mercy to them, because they are those that genuinely fear God. That's what I saw out of those two verses from James 2. James is emphasizing the righteousness of the garments of those that are in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Revelations 2 is describing that righteousness. When it says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arraigned in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And what do we read in James? Well, the key verse is in green. But what wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? By works was faith made perfect. So it's one thing to say you believe, because the devils also believe and tremble, it says here. The emphasis is the genuine faith, genuine righteousness is not self-righteous, but it does manifest the works of righteousness. And so we read further, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by his works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And God is emphasizing that to be prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb is to live out your faith and not be a hearer only deceiving your own self. Of course, I somehow was cast by lot Proverbs 8, and I can't go into that, and there's just no time to keep preaching, or I'll be preaching too long for these videos to 
be able to do all that. It says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. And it goes on. I'm not going to go continuing to read more scripture. On Friday, it was the severity of God's judgment that requires fasting because it's so severe. And how God will not even allow people in Revelations 15 to enter his temple because of the anger that he's pouring out upon the wicked around them until that anger is fully executed. I'm not going to continue to preach for time. Thank you for listening to this message. and God bless you. And continue to pray for me and support me in prayer. And if you purchase my books, that will help. Um, as I didn't do a proper job of marketing them, and it takes a lot of more work yet to get them selling. Well, I've sold in June on my Afterlife book is seven books, but and today is almost the end of June. So um, I don't have the advertising going now because it's taken up too much of my money, but I'm going to improve it. But God bless you all. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk soon.